You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, you know, we just see over and over again the talent that we have here. And we knew Alicia could sing. And now we understand here that our newly... Uh, registered doctor can sing as well so you'll be able not only to be an effective psychiatrist but if you get a bad case like me you can also soothe them to the song as well but uh, you know what a blessing thank you uh, Tamara and Alicia and uh, children as they're beginning to make their way over here um, let's take a moment and let's just pray so we'll let them start filing that way and we'll pray real quickly Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We love you. We pray, dear Lord, for Reggie and the team as they minister to these children for each one of them. May they feel the power and presence of your Holy Spirit in Children's Church. God, may you speak to us in this sanctuary as you've already done in music. Continue in your word. Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Lord, take away any thought or deed or word. Lord, that may have come out of my mouth. Lord, let me be a tool in your hand. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Remain standing if you would. And I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to the, over there in the New Testament to Titus. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And uh, I'd like to ask you, if you can, stand in honor of God's Word. Let's stand. If you're able to stand, I understand sometimes people can't do that, but we do that out of respect for the Word of God. So Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, and we're going to kind of get a rolling start here, and uh, Reggie preached to you. Now, Crete is an island of about 160 miles in length. It has probably about 100 cities in it, and the key to the book of Titus is that Paul is writing to a young man named Titus that he has discipled, he's groomed, he's been a spiritual mentor to him, and he's put him or left him on the island of Crete, as Paul says in verse 5, to straighten out some things that have been left undone. Now, Reggie uh, Reggie preached on on the passage that we're going to read through, and if you did not have an opportunity to listen to that, I encourage you to do that excellent message and more particularly on discipling and how we all should be involved in discipling. But picking up at Titus chapter 1, verse 5, over there after uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, if you're there, say amen. Amen. Paul writes, The reason I left you, that is Titus, in Crete, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So there real quickly is Titus's purpose statement. This is the reason that Paul left Titus there, to straighten out some matters and to establish some elders, some leaders. Now verse 6, he's going to describe what an elder should be like, his character, his qualities, his nature. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient, since an overseer, that is an elder, shepherd, 
pastor is entrusted with God's work. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now let's keep reading. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and for that sake, for and for the sake of dishonest gain. Verse 12, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, Titus rebuked them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and their conscience are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we pray, dear Lord, that you'll open up your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, today, we're going to be looking at what Paul was trying to do through Timothy. Now, what Paul did with Timothy was that he gave Timothy the training the discipleship, the education, everything that he would need in order to do what Paul was asking him to do. Paul says to Timothy, he said, now when you get to Crete, I want you to straighten out some problems that are existing in these churches that have been planted. Beyond that, he says to Titus, he said, I want you also to establish leadership. You need to, you need to figure out who those leaders are and begin to set them up. So the first point is this. I call it the stewardship of the pastor. Now I want you to look at verse 7, because this is critical. He says here, he's talking about the qualifications, or the characteristics of an elder or a pastor. He says an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife. We'll talk about all this in a moment. But in verse 7, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work. Now that word there comes from the Greek oikos. And oikos is the word for house. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, I mean to Titus, he's saying, Titus, understand that those elders, those pastors, those leaders that you are training and equipping, they are responsible to be the stewards of God's house, his kids. Now, I want you to hang on that thought because I want to give you two scenarios. Number one, imagine that you are being interviewed for a position 
as a nanny or a butler. Okay, are you with me? I always told Sheila if something happened to her, I think I'd like to be a butler. I really do. I think I would like being the steward of running one of the wealthy homes. I already sent a resume to Kevin and Julie when they have their second family that I could be their butler and actually take care of the kids. But uh, anyway, I'm just picking on this. But imagine that you're interviewing for the job of being a nanny or a butler and your responsibility in the home of some wealthy, prominent person is to be the steward or to run their household. You're to see to the affairs of their house. You're to watch their kids. You're kind of a, you're kind of a uh, parental figure because a lot of times wealthy, prominent people, they will hire a nanny or they'll hire a butler and that person will be entrusted with the responsibilities of somewhat parenting their children. Am I making sense? Now, if you were being interviewed, that person is going to look at you and they're going to have certain qualifications or prerequisites for you to be the steward or to run their household. Is that not true? Okay, second scenario. Imagine instead you are the wealthy, prominent person and you are interviewing someone to be a nanny, to be a butler, they have the responsibility of protecting, watching over your children. Uh, you, they're going to be kind of a parental figure because you may have to travel. And, and so you're looking for somebody who you think, well, I want them to be a little bit overprotective. I'd like them to be a little bit of a doting kind of parent. And, and, and so uh, as you're interviewing somebody, you also have certain qualifications and prerequisites. Does that make sense? Now, everybody listen closely. The role of a pastor or an elder, mostly in line with that verse 7, that's exactly what I and Reggie do here in this church. We're an overseer, we're a pastor, we're an under-shepherd. Our responsibility is to pastor like a flock of sheep, to be the steward of God's household his oikos, his household, and his children. That's our responsibility. And let me tell you a little something about your heavenly father. He is overly protective of you. He is doting over you. He loves you. He cares about you. He loves you so much that he's very, very picky as to who watches over his kids. Is everybody with me? just like you would be. In fact, Jesus even alluded to this. He said, you think you earthly parents, you think you're protective, you have no idea about your heavenly Father who listened. According to this writer of the Psalms, said that on your way to the car, if you trip on a stone, 72,000 angels in heaven come to attention to come to your aid. That's how doting your Father is over you. He loves you. He loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus. So, um, now the reality is, returning back, let's say that you're interviewing somebody, you're affluent, you're wealthy, you've got the money, you travel a lot, you're on the go a lot, so you need somebody 
that will be the steward. They will run your household and take care of your children in somewhat of a parental role. Now, as you sit them down, you begin to say, now, I, I just, I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, look at verse 12. I mean, look at verse 12 of chapter 1. You ever, I think this is always kind of funny to me. Paul says here, he said, even one of their own... Now, he's talking to Titus, and he said, Titus, I'm just going to give you a reality check here. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. There, even their own prophets had said this. Cretans, the citizens of Crete, Cretans, they are, they are always liars. They don't lie just sometimes. They lie all the time. You can't believe nothing they say. They are evil brutes. They're just brutes. They're evil. Uh, they are, they're lazy, and they're just lazy gluttons. Now imagine you look at a nanny or a butler, or let's say you were being hired to be a nanny or a butler, and the person looked at you and said, now I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, little Susie will lie with a straight face. She will lie. Listen, I, I, you, the person's looking at you and saying, now listen, before you accept this job to be the nanny or the butler, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, my kids are a bunch of liars. They will lie to you. They can, they can keep a straight face. They are the best liars you'll ever meet. You can't believe nothing little Susie says to you. She's a liar, and I'm just going to tell you something else. She, my kid, you, you, you're, you're okay. You, this person looks at you. They're trying to interview you to be the nanny or the butler, and they say, listen, my kids are a bunch of liars. You can't believe nothing they say. And hey, it gets worse. They are lazy, no-account kids. They don't pick up after themselves. Listen, they don't even flush the toilet. These are bad kids. If they, use the, if they take toothpaste, they squirt it all over the vanity. They'll leave the cap off the toothpaste. They'll leave their toothbrush there. I mean, these are bad kids. They are lazy kids. They are, they'll leave a mess everywhere they go. You can tell these kids are bad because they leave a mess in the bedroom, dining room, kitchen, wherever they are, wherever they play, they leave their toys there. And they're, and they're gluttons. They are a bunch of pigs. They just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. You can't keep nothing. If you're wanting food, you got to hide it. And don't be surprised. There's food under the bed, food under their pillow. I mean, listen, they are, they are liars. They are lazy. They are gluttons. They, I, I'll be honest with you. Before you take this position as a... As a butler or a nanny, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, my kids are a bunch of slobs. Now let me ask something. How many of you would want to keep these kids? How many of you would want this job? And the person looks at you and says, now listen, I know it's bad, but what we need is we need a nanny or a butler that has a strong hand. You ever watch that show, what is it about the nanny from England, from Britain? Huh? Super nanny? Yeah. Do what? Well, whatever it is. I mean, you know, it's this, it's this British woman, or this. They, they even have a team where they take turns, and you look at some of these women when they go into situations, and you think, man, there is no way possible that that woman, that old woman, is going to be able to straighten out that situation. Those kids are horrible. I mean, some of them look almost inhuman. 
They look like they've been possessed by demons. Now, what am I saying? Paul was saying to Titus, he was saying, Titus, I'm just going to be honest with you. Titus, when you get to Crete, you've got your work cut out for you. And you can't do it by yourself. You're going to have to have some elders, overseers. You're going to have to have some pastors that will have these qualifications so that they can be a steward of God's household, watching over his kids. And let me tell you, about 40 years of dealing with God's kids, they are some bad kids. Not, not y'all. I'm talking about all those that are not here today. So Paul gives the qualifications. He tells Titus, he says, now Titus, let me give you the credentials, what you need to look for in the resume or the job application, what you need to look for, qualifications, characteristics of a person who is called to be an elder or a pastor. You know, I wrote down here, these are good character traits for any parent. They're also good traits for a single person who might be looking for a spouse. Now watch what Paul says here. First of all, he says, verse 6, an elder must be what? He must be blameless. In fact, Paul says it twice. In other words, he must be above reproach. There's no cause for criticism. Not an, an accusation can't be made about this person concerning their character, their credibility, and their witness. This person is sound biblically, and they're sound in their character. Uh, I wrote down here, you may not like what that person says. You may not like me. You may not like Reggie. But you can't find grounds to attack or an accusation against our character and who we are as men of God. That's what it means here. He is a picture of the model of what a godly man looks like. Now, Paul goes on to say, he's a one-woman man. Now, let me tell you, this is controversial. Everybody listen to me. My grandmother was divorced. My grandmother was born in 1902. When she got a divorce as a young woman with two kids, it was unheard of in our society. My mom was divorced and left with one daughter, my oldest sister. Both of my sisters are divorced. So let me tell you, you, like our society, we live in a day of divorce, remarriage. And, and I say to people all the time who are, who've been divorced, they've remarried, uh, God has brought healing in a relationship, they've gone on to have a happy, joyful marriage and a good family, I thank God. But for those people who have been through divorce, you would never wish it on anybody else. You know as well as I do, people say it all the time, divorce is hell. Divorce is like a second death that most people wouldn't wish on anybody else. It's just a painful process. Now, there are two ways we could interpret this. Number one, we could say that what God wanted in the body of Christ is an example of a monogamous, lifetime marriage. In other words, what God says is God says the man who is to be the steward of my household must be a one-woman man. He's only been married one time. Can't be divorced. He's, he's just he's a one-woman man. Some people would interpret it that way. And their defense would be this, that God says within the body of believers that you need an example of what God intended from the beginning. 
In other words, God puts before you an example of an elder, a pastor, an overseer who is a picture of what God's intent was. God's intent was Matthew 19, Jesus said one man, one woman for life. That's what God's intent was. But we live in a fallen world, right? And we can't help it. We live in a fallen world and divorce is a part of our society. It happens. So other people would say, and I, and I also would agree here, that if we, if we look at the definition and we examine it, that it could also be not only God's example of what his original intent was, but for a divorced pastor, it could be a picture of God's grace. Mark Bowman is a classic example of that. I walked Mark through a very, very painful divorce. He was left with two teenage girls. It's a very dark time in Mark's life. It wasn't his fault. He was faithful. But Mark went through a very painful divorce, walking him through that. Very tough time. This church, we walked Mark Bowman through that. Mark lived in this house with those two teenage girls and put his life back together. Mark eventually served on staff in this church as the director of our children's ministry. God rebuilt Mark's life. Mark eventually married a, one, a young woman who also had gone through a painful divorce. And it, no fault of her own. And God rebuilt and brought those two together. And listen, Mark today pastors the church that Tamara and Reggie were married in and was influential in Tamara's life and her coming to Christ. So the reality is, you see how the circle goes around? And Mark Bowman is a picture to every person who's ever gone through a painful divorce that there is life after divorce. God can bring healing to relationships. God can restore. You know what the Bible says? God can restore what the locust has eaten. What the enemy has destroyed, God can restore that. So Paul goes on to say, he says, um, he, he's a, he's a one-woman man, however we interpret that, and his children are obedient. They're, they're not wild, they're not disobedient. Now, now, think with me here. You are interviewing somebody to be the nanny or the butler in your home. So you sit down with them and you're having this conversation and, and you look at them, I'm going to get this stool because I want to make it as real as I can. But anyway, you're, you're, you're sitting there and you're the parent and you're affluent, you got money, uh, you're, you're a prominent figure, you have to travel a lot. So this person's going to be kind of like a parental figure to your children. So you look and you, you would say if they are a parent themselves and maybe an older parent whose children are grown, you might look at them and say, well, listen, before... Before we move any farther, tell me a little bit about your family. Well, uh, my oldest son, in fact, I talked to his parole officer this morning, and he's doing real good now. Two of my kids are in rehab, and they have really come a long ways. We're just excited about some things that are happening. My youngest son is in prison, but he's expected to get out in 17 years. Now, let me ask you something. I'm, I'm being honest. Let me ask you something. Would that person be the nanny or the butler for your children? No. You know what God tells me? You, we may not like this. You know what God tells me? You know what I used to tell my kids? 
you can disqualify me to be a pastor like that. You live a wild, disobedient life. You start getting into drugs, getting into alcohol. You become sexually promiscuous. You begin to rebel against me. And you follow the course of a lot of kids. You will disqualify me. And I promise you, I will step down from being the pastor. A lot of people may say, well, that's, that's pretty strong. That's right. But you know what my kids understood? They understood this. If you live a wild, disobedient life, you will disqualify me to be a pastor. Because you know what God said? God said, I don't want nobody that can't run their own household running mine. That's what God said. If you can't run your own household, you can't take care of your own affairs. You know, I don't, I've always said, I don't need Tom Cruise telling me how to keep my wife happy. He can't keep a woman happy. I've been keeping mine happy for over 40 years. I don't need him to tell me anything. The reality is, is that you and I understand that God is saying to both I and Reggie, how we steward our own home either qualifies us or disqualifies us as an elder and a pastor. Now, you know, so, you know, he goes on now in verse 7 again, where we, where we started off. In verse 7, he says here, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, which the idea here is that he's to be a steward. And in fact, it uses the word guardian here, episkopos. It, and in there is S-K-O-P, which means uh, skeptic analytical it's where we get our word skeptic in other words this is a person who has who also as a pastor has his guard up he's protecting he's watching over the body of christ does that make sense and he's analytical by nature you know women are trusted but most most women are trusted men are not God has given us a responsibility of providing and protecting our families. A man by nature is reading other men. If a man came into that door right there, women might look, but you know what the men in this room will be doing? They're trying to figure out at that point whether he is a threat to the people in this room. And if he is, they're trying to position themselves in order to take him out. And they'll do whatever they have to do to do that. That's his nature. He's just not very trusted. Sheila and I, we go to a car lot when we'd go to look at a vehicle. And the sales guy would come out there and he'd be talking to us. And Sheila would be going, he was so patient. I just hate to disappoint him and not buy that car. I said, Sheila, he's just trying to make a sale. And the bottom line is, is that I don't trust him no farther than I can throw him. And if Eric Rogers can't work on this vehicle, we ain't buying it. If it ain't a Honda or Toyota, we ain't buying it. You see, a pastor by nature is that way. Let me tell you, I, I, told, a, I, I, told, I told a parent about, we're talking about soccer camp. I told a parent, I looked at a parent, and I said to them, I said, let me, hey, this is Reggie. This is Reggie out there, and Reggie's a big man. I'm still worried about Ted DiBiase. If they wrestle, I'm, I'm afraid DiBiase could lose this thing. Million dollar man may turn out to be a 50 cent piece when Reggie gets put with him. But let me tell you, Reggie is very protective of your kids. I'll tell you that. 
I believe, and I told a parent this, and that parent cried. They started tearing up. I said, I can tell you this much about Reggie. I believe Reggie would die for your kids. You see, that's the nature of an elder, a guardian, a, a shepherd. Uh, you, you know, one of the mistakes I made in this church years ago, we, had, we would have before the JSU Alcorn game, we would bring J Jackson State Choir, Alcorn Choir, we'd put them together, have a joint choir. We would have an unbelievably big combined service on a Friday night before Jackson State and Alcorn play. I mean, it was tremendous. One year we had a man preach from this pulpit. And I made a mistake. My mistake was I should have stood up and told that man to sit down and shut up. Because that man was speaking a message that I believe was immoral and ungodly. And I should have stopped him. And not long after that, he was caught in an immoral, compromising situation. You know, we also protect this pulpit. The most difficult part of pastoring is the same for parenting as protecting. There's a book written, I hate Ledge walked out, Alicia, because uh, he, Ledge has talked a lot about this book. David Sheff, he wrote a book called The Beautiful Boy. Anybody heard of it? Seen the movie, A Beautiful Boy? It probably has some language in it. I know the book does. But in David Sheff's book, A Beautiful Boy, he chronicles a family in which his son gets called up in a, an addictive lifestyle in, in drugs and alcohol. And it is a gut-wrenching book written by a father about his son. And at one point, they're out in California somewhere. I think they're in San Francisco. They're in a group therapy setting when they are kind of the, the, in, in this room of other people that are addicts. And the question comes, how did it start? Where did it begin? And in this moment, David Sheff says that his son said, do you remember when we were 16 years old and we went to France and we were living in Paris? You know, they'd give alcohol to anybody. He said, I could go into any restaurant, sit there, and they would bring me wine, bring me wine, bring me wine bring me wine. He said, at 16 years old, he said, I began to drink wine while we were living in France, and he said, when I came home, I couldn't buy wine, so I started smoking pot. And he said, from there I went downhill. And David Sheff said it was a life-changing moment to hear where it all started. You know, the most difficult task of a pastor or a parent is protecting your kids in a very, very permissive society. Or anything nowadays. It's your toughest assignment. Their affiliations, their friendships, their associations, the TV programs they watch, the music that they listen to, the authority figures in their life, even the academic community. Do not be intimidated. Study, stay informed. Stay in the Word of God, pray, and, have, and be very intentional when you're parenting. Steve Taylor wrote a book called Alpha Predator. Great book. Steve's preached here from this pulpit, First Baptist Albuquerque, when he came here and preached. 
Steve Taylor, in this book, Alpha, Alpha Predator, Steve Taylor was a missionary in Zimbabwe on the Zambezi, a very, very primitive area of Africa, looked like something out of a movie. He said one night he and Shirley, his wife, were sitting out on the porch. He said they looked across the Zambezi and they could hear all of a sudden this screaming, all of this activity across the river. He said he had, they had no idea what was going on. Let me tell you what was going on. A group from South Africa, college students, had come up, and they were doing a safari. The guide told them that night they built a big fire. The guide, the guide said this, who was leading the college students. He said, listen, keep your tents close to the fire. Keep your tents zipped up. Now, let me tell you, I've had a lion rub the canvas of what I was dwelling in and not tear through it. So they're a strange creature. But anyway, during the night, a 19-year-old college student, smarter than the guide, the one that was shepherding, overseeing, the protector, decides that he's not going to listen to the guide. So he gets up at night, drags his tent out there away from the fire, leaves it unzipped because he's a little warm, and all of a sudden they wake up to lions going into that tent, dragging that 19-year-old college student, and by the time they found him, they found a piece here and a piece there. There was nothing left. You know what, your, you know what my responsibility is and that of Reggie as your pastor is to protect you from the enemy. And he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's why you may say, well, you know, I don't understand why they get so bent out of shape sometimes when they're preaching. Because sometimes we're not preaching, we're pleading. He goes on to say this. He says, this man, this pastor, he's not overbearing. In verse 7, he's self-willed. He's not selfish. He's not arrogant. He's not consumed with himself. He is looking out for God's family, the body of believers. I remember, and I'll move quickly. You don't get upset. We're not going to get to the end of chapter 1, so don't think, oh, oh no, we're going to be here a long time. We're not. Years ago, back when I was young, before I met Shayla and married, I was, uh, I was invited to a, to a family member's wedding, uh, a female, a cousin. Uh, she was, uh, I was, I have to be careful because they may listen on podcast, but I don't care. But anyway, anyway, my brother-in-law and I were sitting in the, in the church and she was marrying a bodybuilder. And so my cousin is a captivating, beautiful woman. I mean, she looks like a model in her dress coming down. And she's coming down and her, her prospective husband is down front in his tuxedo. Now, she's coming down the aisle. Do you know what he was doing? For those that are watching and listening by podcast, you can't tell it. But he was checking himself out. I mean, she's coming down the aisle, being escorted down the aisle, captivatingly beautiful, deep, dark, cold black hair, beautiful young lady. And he's sitting there, rather than checking out his bride, he's busy, he's consumed with himself. Let me tell you one thing. I can tell you this much. I can say it about Reggie. You got two men that are not worried about themselves. Now, that's the bottom line. 
And, and, and so th this is what he's saying here. He's not, he's not self-willed, selfish, arrogant, not consumed with himself. He's not looking at himself or looking about his needs. He's looking for the needs of the body of Christ. That's what he's about. Verse 7, he's not quick-tempered. Let me ask something. Do you want somebody quick-tempered watching your kids? Quick flies off the handle, short fuse. You want some, somebody, listen to this, there's a Greek word, I love it, macrothumia. Macro means a long fuse. Thumia is where we get our word thermos. It takes a lot to make that man mad. You know what the elder, the pastor, the shepherd should be? He should be macrothumia. He has a long fuse. It takes a lot to get him angry. I've seen the guy downstairs get angry. And it ain't pretty. But I tell you this much, in every situation, it was justified in that moment. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have, an, doesn't have a temper. It doesn't mean that he doesn't get angry. Jesus got angry. But he gets angry about the right things. So he's not quick-tempered. I had a pastor friend of mine who a woman smarted off to him. Listen, smarted off to him as she was going out to church. She walks, out the, walks through the foyer. He's standing at the door telling people goodbye, greeting them. The woman smarts off, says something to him. It was very, very derogatory. I don't know if she didn't use profanity. And my friend, before he could think, slapped her and knocked her to pieces. He wasn't at that church very long. He's not a drunkard. He's, he's self-disciplined. He, he understands. You know, wine in the time of the New Testament was a purifying uh, agent. They would put it in water to purify water. I now use a little MD, MD 2020 in Jackson water just to kill all the parasites. No, I'm joking. You know, he's not a drunkard. Uh, he's not guilty, Paul said, of dishonest gain. He doesn't make a living in shameful or questionable financial. He, he's honest. And then, and, and I'll close in a moment. Paul gives six real positive things. I'm just going to read them off, okay? I'm not going to explain them. Real quickly, he's hospitable, which means he's approachable, he's pleasant, he's kind with people. He loves what is good. In the King James Version, he's a lover of good men. He's self-controlled, which means he's filled with the Holy Spirit, but he's also governed by his own disciplines that he incorporates into his life. He's sober. Once again, Paul reiterates the thing of drinking and alcohol. Let me tell you, I see why. Because the stress of ministry, I, I promise you, if I could drink, I probably would. I'll just be honest with you. Most of the time when I leave church, I think a shot of whiskey might do me a little bit of good. Paul said, listen, you don't want that kind of man to be your elder, your overseer, your shepherd. He's to be sober. He's to be upright, which means he's righteous. He obeys the word as well as preaches it. He doesn't just preach the word, he obeys it. He's holy, hagias, he's set apart. Let me tell you, I, and, and real quickly here, it may be a pet peeve and some of you do it, and I, hey, listen, I'll never correct you. But I, I, I'm going to use Reggie for an example. You can call him Reggie if you want, and he'll never say a word to you. But I think sometimes out of respect, you may be better to call him Brother Reggie. You know, 
I can be Pastor Jeff, Brother Jeff, or whatever. But I think, listen, I respect her. If I go into her circle, if I go to a hospital, I, I will not call her Tamara. I will call her Dr. Glenn to recognize her position that she plays within the medical community. Right? You know, some of the people through the years, and, and some of you, I listen, please take it with a grain of salt, because as I look out here, if you call me Jeff, I realize you're dear friends, and you're, you're not, but I'm just, I'm just telling you. A lot of people who called me Jeff are no longer in this church, and they're their own authority. David Fleming is a doctor in Brandon. David Fleming is a tremendous doctor. He is a dear friend I knew when he was a farmer. But in that office, I always refer to him as Dr. Fleming. Even if he says, you can call me David, I don't. So I think there is, is recognition. You know, just as slight as it is, I think it helps. He's disciplined, and, and I'll close with this, which means he's strong, he's robust, he has a power to master, to control, and restrain himself. He's able to do that. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul said, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. For every husband in this room, you're a pastor. For every parent, you're a pastor. Everything that I've read to you as a parent, a mom or a dad, is, 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 a, is a character trait and a qualification that should be a part of your life. Everything that you require out of me to, to effectively be the steward of God's house should be the same qualities and characteristics that are in your life as you seek to be a steward of what God's entrusted to you. Your wife, men, and your children, ladies, your husband, and your children. You know, I, I, I close with this and then we'll pray. Last night I dreamed all night. It was a, man, just a restless night. I haven't done this in years. Just dreaming, dreaming. So over and over again, it was that children were being threatened. So I have to thank God was saying something to me. My last dream was this. I was in a meeting with a group of men and there was a, the lake and and, and, and there, there were men, but there were also women in this room. And there was a mom in there with her son, and her, uh, I turned and looked, and her daughter was out on this lake, and it jumped in, and, and when she jumped in this lake, it was like crocs just gathered all around her, and the crocs killed her before I could get out there. And I'm screaming to these men, we've got to go, we've got to take a croc. I mean, we've got we to do whatever. We, you know, we got to save this child, but it was too late. He just said, quick, just like a feeding frenzy in a moment. And the mother walks out with her little boy, and she walks out on the steps. She just sits down, and she just begins to weep uncontrollably. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at her, and I'm weeping too. You know, the bottom line is for every one of us in this room, God has called us to be a steward of something or someone. It's your children, it's your grandchildren, it's your family. Sometimes it's the, if you're single, it's the children to be a parental figure in the life of other children. 
you may have an influence and an impact on somebody else's kids that they may not have at that moment. But most of all, that you would understand what God requires out of Reggie. Now listen, and I feel so unworthy. I think sometimes if I could do anything else, I'd do it. I'm telling you. The responsibility of this is so heavy on my heart. And I feel so unworthy, so inadequate. You mean after 40 years of doing it? Yes. Do you know what I say to Reggie? I hate to tell you this. Reggie, I feel sorry. Because the task of an elder, shepherd, pastor in these days is going to be even more difficult than it has been in the past. And let me tell you where we fail. If you don't encourage that man downstairs, I can tell you this much. Chances are he may survive as a pastor in the years to come, but he'll never be everything that God intended. He needs you to go down there, hug his neck and say, thank you for what you do. In the summer enrichment, soccer camp, he's in there typing on his computer, his regular job. He's on the phone, out there watching the kids. He's running volunteers, doing this, doing that. Uh, Ted DiBiase, that's Reggie. The camp going on, the camp's going on, all that's Reggie. And I'm telling you that if you don't encourage him, if you don't sometimes say to him, I love you, I appreciate what you do, then my friend, for the task that he faces in the future, let me tell you, we're losing pastors in record numbers. They can't handle it. The stress is so great. You know, you know the qualifications matter. Now let's stand. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, this is that opportunity. If you've never given your life to Christ, first and foremost, to repent of your sin, give your life to Jesus Christ. If you're a parent here, you can never effectively shepherd, oversee, watch over your children, that family, that household, your household, unless you've given your life to Christ. Some of you have been hurt, you're beat up, you, need, you may need prayer. You may need to come to this altar. Whatever it is, you come. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, we love you. We pray, dear Lord, now that you will just speak to us as we go into this invitation. Lord, if there's someone here that right now may be struggling, they may not be sure of their salvation, may not be certain that if they died, they'd go to heaven, then, Lord, I pray today that they would repent of their sin. That just simply means to simply cry out, say, Lord, I'm sorry for the life that I've lived. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. For some in this room, they need to do that for the first time and receive you as their Lord and their Savior. For others, they've drifted away from you. It's time to come back. It's time to say, Lord, I've not been living the way I should, but Lord, help me. God, help me put my life back together. For some in this room, it just needs to be a moment at the altar to pray for a child, a family member. God, speak to us, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.